Well, thank you again, uh, everyone who's part of the service here, being able to uh, add something special and to be able to be with one another online um, and to be able to remember why we are here for Christmas Eve, is that we are celebrating the Christ child who was born in a manger so he would live a perfect life and then he would die on that cross and experience that humiliation so that we could have eternal life and we trust in him and be able to give our lives over to him. Now, this is the uh, Christmas Eve service. It's also the conclusion of our Heaven on Earth series. So for those of you who uh, are just tuning in, don't, don't worry about it. I'm going to give a, a quick recap of where we've been to set the tone that as Dan just read, the idea that we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus wins. We know that creation and there's a new earth and things are restored to how they were originally designed to be. We know this, but sometimes it's hard to live between now and that future coming. That if we look and we, we listen to the story that Jill read, and there's a lot of heavy topics that were discussed, we look around our world, and this has been a year of all years, a, a year of heaviness, and we think about different things when we see division and frustration and struggle and heartache and pain and loss and tragedy. Sometimes we just want to cry out, God, no more. No more. I can't take anymore. It's wave upon wave of difficulty. It's wave upon wave of, of frustration, of sorrow, of confusion, of not knowing what's happening. And when we experience wave upon wave, we can handle a few waves, but then we get knocked over by one. We get back up and we're soaked and we're exhausted and we're cold. And we say no more. And if your year has been like many of our years, then another wave comes. And we just want to cry out, God, no more. It's hard. The stories we read in that book, My Christmas List, that it's impacting this entire world. And as we've been in a Gifts for Jesus season in which we've been raising money to give globally and to reach people who are in need across our world through our global missionaries, we felt like this story would allow for us to highlight some of those difficulties, but also the need for Christmas Eve, because the need in the midst of difficulty is to have hope. And hope only comes because Jesus came. And he came into a manger to ultimately go on the cross and then ultimately to bring us into right relationship when we confess and we trust him. So we've spent a few weeks looking at the theme of the four-themed gospel. That when we typically talk about the gospel at church, we talk about how, you know, we sin and Jesus died for us. And that is obviously a, the crux of it. But what we often sometimes miss is the idea that creation is the very beginning, that in the beginning, God dwelt. He walked amongst Adam and Eve. In the beginning, things were created good. And so God is a good creator, and he is good in how he forms things. He designed things, how he loves us. But we blew it, and that's where we come from the fall. See, we have this thing, all of us, we have this nostalgia in our lives where this word nostalgia comes from the Greek word nosos, which means home, and algos, which means pain. So we have this home pain, this heartache of how things are supposed to be, and we know there's a gap. And so when we experience that gap, it's difficult, and we long for how things once were. We get nostalgic. And because of our sin, because all of us fall short, all of us do mess up. We all do things we shouldn't do. We all don't do things we should do. Amen? But because of that, 
our lives have been thrown out of alignment. Our lives have been thrown off where we start to think that we're the only ones that can determine right and wrong. And that stems from Genesis 3 and the fall of man. That we think we are the ones that control our lives or we think we are the ones that, we need, that need to be able to determine what's right, what's wrong, and that there's no consequence for our sin. But, but last week, Pastor Dan shared with us the idea of redemption, the idea that a kinsman redeemer, someone has to pay the price and to redeem us, not because on our own we are good enough to deserve it, but because what Jesus had done by living a perfect life and by dying that death, he saw value in us not because of what we've done, but because of what he does on the cross for us. And so we are redeemed. And, and that could be the end of the story. But tonight, we're going to take the last few minutes that we have together in order to talk about creation number one, the fall, the second part of the story, redemption, which is the third part of the story. And then tonight, the theme of restoration, the idea of things being brought back to how they were originally meant to be. Because we are stuck now in a season in which we say no more. Because of pain and heartache and difficulty. But this is not the end of God's story. In fact, we started in Genesis. Now I'm going to go all the way to Revelation 21. And we're going to read the very end or the last, second to last chapter of this story and talk about restoration and what it means for us this evening. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dis, uh, dressed for her husband. And if you have familiarity with the Bible, there are so many instances in which God comes down to meet with his people. It happens all the way in the beginning when God comes down to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. It happens in Exodus when there's the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that is surrounding the people in the tabernacle at all times. It happens in the temple when they meet and he meets um, in the Holy of Holies. It happens because Jesus came down to be with us. It happens in Acts 2 Pentecost when, when the Holy Spirit came down and came upon us. And then it happens here at the end in Revelation 21 when the new heaven comes down because God loves us so much that he wants to come down to meet with us. And we see that embodied in the person of Jesus. But I want to continue on in verse 3 because there's one more thing I want to mention in this area. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And I highlighted here that God's dwelling place is now among the people because that original, rest that original plan in creation to have God dwell with us, to walk with us, to be with us, to be fully present with us has been rocked and out of alignment because of sin. And it's, we've been redeemed because of Jesus. But because of restoration, we are now able to go back to how that relationship was meant to be. That relationship where God dwells with us. He tabernacles with us. He meets with us. And some of you who are watching online, some of you say, I, you say that God meets with us and he wants to be with us, but how come my life is so filled with pain? How come I look and I cry out to God and it just seems like 
I'm so overwhelmed that I just say, no more, God. I can't handle, I can't take any more. And some of us in a season in which the holidays and we, we may want to be surrounded and to feel love, sometimes this is the loneliest season of the year. And we say, no more, God, I can't handle any more. And if that's you, if that's you, then all of us, we need to remember and to be encouraged by the fact that God sees you, he hears you, and he longs to come down and to dwell, be present with you. Verse 4, it says, uh, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. Verse 5, he was seated on, the, seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. See, in verse 4, wanting to highlight the idea that there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more heartache, no more crying. That all the wounds and the difficulty we experience when we have a restored relationship with God and when we get to experience eternity and full restoration with him in heaven, as the new heaven comes down and the new earth and they're both reformed to bring us back to the dwelling place, the relationship that we were all created for, the relationship that is the only one that can fulfill us in that relationship with God, the one that we have nostalgia, whether we know who he is or not, we have this home pain because our pain, or excuse me, our home can only come in a relationship with God, and because we've been separated from him for, because of our own sin, there's pain there. There's a heartache there, and we've been able to be invited back into restored relationship. That some of us today are praying for restoration within our own relationships, praying restoration for healing physically, emotionally, spiritually, praying for restoration to God to make things new. And when we cry out no more, do you know what he did in response? That as Isaiah talks about that there's been darkness and then the people in darkness have seen a great light, that Jesus, he came down and he says, you've been experiencing darkness, you've been experiencing difficulty, you've experienced uh, pain and heartache. No more will you experience that alone. As Jesus comes down and he feels our pain, he took all our pain upon us, all of our heartache, all of our sin, and he redeemed us. And then we see here again, as we look at verse 4, that we may cry out no more, but in the restored relationship with God in heaven with him, that word no more is not us giving up. No more pain, no more heartache. That, that word, that picture of no more is a declaration of victory, that there will be no more pain. There will be no more heartache. There will be no more weeping. So all the areas in which we feel broken tonight, all the areas in which we struggle this year, all the ways in which we've seen these things, it's we say, no more, God, we can't handle it. And he says, trust in me, believe in Jesus, and you will experience difficulty here on earth. Yes, of course, that you'll have no more weeping in eternity with me. 
Now, I thought about the best way. I know there's some children watching, and I can't tell a story as well as Jill, uh, Mrs. J, but I'm going to do my best to tell a story or at least summarize a, a movie that many of us have watched, and I'm going to do my best not to sing uh, any of the songs with it, but um, there's this movie called Frozen from 2013, and the reason I'm bringing it up is I'm going to try to like very quickly uh, do it, but not as quickly as Olaf at the end of Frozen 2 when he's like, this person dies. This, I'm not, I'm not going to do that fast. I don't have that time. But what I want to do is explain that, you know, Elsa and Anna are sisters, um, and they've been separated because their parents died, and, and Elsa's been kind of closed off. And Elsa has these powers in order to, to make things frozen, and so it's a very clever name, Disney, frozen, way to think of it. Um, but being able to just have this power to, to freeze things, and what ends up happening is that because she gets scared and because she comes overwhelmed, that all of a sudden there's a moment in which she freezes the entire country of Arendelle, which she is now the queen of. And so her sister Anna loves her, but feels hurt by the fact that they've not been close, and she tries to pursue her, and then hilarity ensues, and great singing happens, and there comes a moment when, um, in the midst of her brokenness and fear, again, Elsa is driven by fear to the point where she accidentally shoots ice into Anna's heart, and if Anna doesn't um, experience an act of true love, then she will die. And so they think, as the story goes, you think that it's going to be a true love's kiss. And at the very last moment, the wind is swirling, the ice is coming, the snow is all over the place, and Anna is freezing and about to die, and she tries to go to someone to get a kiss in order to have true love. She sees that the villain of the story is about to kill her sister Elsa. And so she goes, and she goes, and she's about to freeze, and she blocks with her last breath. She turns to ice, blocks the sword um, from the villain. The sword breaks. She dies. She freezes, and then there's this last, last breath that comes. And Elsa turns around to see that her sister had sacrificed her life for her. And it's this beautiful moment because then a few moments later as they're mourning, they see how Anna starts to come back to life again. They see how she's resurrected again. Because an act of true love can thaw a broken heart, a frozen heart, excuse me. And so it wasn't a, a true love's kiss. It was the love that is a self-sacrificial laying down of one's life for friends or family. That is what brings resurrection. Does that sound like the gospel story to you? But then it, there's a section that comes next that when we currently think, if we think of, if we think of the gospel, it's, there's the fall and there's redemption. So there's the sacrifice and then everything's great again. But if you watch the movie, you notice that there's a time in which after Anna sacrifices her life, after she's resurrected, she, you know, they explain that love is what thaws a broken heart, frozen heart. And then it's that moment that Elsa has this time where she starts to stop and she realizes that love is what is going to allow the nation, the, the, the kingdom of Arendelle, to be restored. And then all of a sudden she sees love and she brings up all of the snow and the snowflakes start coming up from the ground. Sven tries to lick the snowflakes. You see that there's, a, um, there's flowers outside of this person's window and it goes from frozen to blooming again. And it shows this picture that the story of Frozen was not completed until Arendelle was restored. And the story of the gospel is not completed until there's full restoration 
Yes, the God, we have redemption. We have new life. I'm not questioning that, but it's almost like until we experience eternity with God in heaven and full restoration, it's almost like that we are living in between the moment of honest sacrifice, or in this case, in the true sense, Jesus' sacrifice, but the restoration, the kingdom has not been restored yet. We're in the middle. And in the, in the movie, the middle is still cold. It's still difficult. We've been redeemed, but things haven't fully been restored. And so as we remember the restoration, the fact that Jesus came not just to take away our sins, he absolutely did that, and that's an offer he makes to you and to us this evening. But he also came to make all things new. I am making all things new, as verse 5 said. He also comes to make all sad things untrue, as Samwise Gamgee says in Lord of the Rings. Is it possible, at the end of all things, he says, is it possible that all sad things will be made untrue? That there be no more weeping. There be no more crying. There be no more pain. We'd be restored. And then Timothy Keller quotes that part and he says, sad things will become untrue and somehow they will be even more beautiful because that things have been broken and then made whole again. So as we close our service or our time together this evening, many of us are crying out, no more, God, I can't take any more. That Jesus was stirred so much and, and his plan of salvation was that he would then come down and that that way we know that in full redemption, we have relationship with Jesus, and then in full restoration, there will be no more. But that's not a cry for help. That's a cry of victory. No more pain, no more heartache, no more crying, no more weeping. When we trust in Jesus, that as C.S. Lewis says, the grandest miracle, the greatest miracle of all is the incarnation. That somehow he who was fully God became fully man and then chose to willingly Lay down his life for us. As we read in Philippians 2 earlier, as Michelle read, that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He laid it all down so that we could have redemption here on earth, but then ultimately to have restoration and restored relationship with him when all things are made new, when there's no more crying, no more weeping, and our hope is fully realized and seen and fulfilled. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for who you are, and we thank you for the fact that you came to redeem us for our sin. You absolutely did that, and we're so thankful for that. We cannot thank you enough, Jesus, that you came, that the humility of the manger pointed to or led to the humiliation on the cross. Lord, we cannot overstate our gratitude for your sacrifice. Jesus, we cannot overstate how thankful we are that you died for our sins and for the sins of the entire world. 
But Lord, we thank you that that is not the end of the story. Arendelle still needs to be restored, that the kingdom of God still needs to come down as the new heaven and the new earth. You're making all things new, that your dwelling place with us is going to be restored in a way that we cannot even fathom here on this earth. So Lord Jesus, as we cry out no more in pain, may we hear your response that says no more pain is as a declaration of victory. And God, May we, wherever we are tonight, not just locationally, wherever we are tonight, relationally with you, may we get a hint or a sense of your restoration, that longing that only comes from receiving right relationship with you. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.